which was such a learning lesson for me of like just how important it was to have people on your team who like align with you and align with how they can who believe in you yes but not only that but how they communicate with you on a daily basis like needs to be in alignment with how you want to be communicated with because seeing how like much of an obstacle my first agent was to even the mindset of me coming into audition room of not feeling good enough because my own agent is like basically telling me I'm not good enough, which why sign me if you don't think I'm good enough? It was a spiral. But having that, I took that with me to LA where it's like, I know I'm going to start from zero. I know I'm going to feel like I'm going to want to take the first person or take this kind of thing. That is the bar. And whoever I'm working with has to be at least that bar of like, I'm excited about you. I believe in you. And like, you're going to crush it, you know. Part inspiration, part education. The whole artist with Courtney Rue. Be your best you. Welcome to The Whole Artist with Courtney Rue. Conversations with artists about acting, purpose, and the journey to finding wholeness. And today I'm excited to interview Bex Marsh. Bex is an Asian-American actor, producer, writer, and former college baller. She's trained at I.O. Chicago, The Annoyance, Second City, and while in the Midwest, she took part in off-Broadway theater, commercials, television, improv, and sketch comedy. Now in Los Angeles, Bex recently shot a recurring role in the new pilot Strong Tower, co-star roles for CBS's Man with a Plan and Fox's Outmatched, and a supporting role for the film Clemency, starring Alfra Woodard, that just won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance 2019. Her comedy Waterboy that she co-wrote and starred in was a finalist in the TBS Just for Laugh Shorts competition headed by Kevin Hart. Catch her performing improv on the show Asian AF at UCBLA, in the America's Best or Ross Dress for Less commercials, or as one half of Duval's sketch comedy for Funny or Die. Follow at Ms. underscore Bex Marsh for more updates and BTS looks. Bex is a really good friend of mine. We talk about a lot of stuff, including her journey from Nebraska to Chicago to L.A. and the person that she had to become and the growth she had to experience to make those moves. We talked about our dark nights of the soul. We talk a lot about living in a space of love and abundance versus fear and scarcity. And I think Bex is a great example of how to live in that space. But before we get to the interview, there's a couple things I want to talk about. One is I was just having a conversation with my friend friend about the power of saying no to auditions, to gigs. There was a breakdown that we had that was for a Latina woman that said Caucasian with darker features. And there is power in every single one of us, Caucasians with darker features or ethnically ambiguous people, I'm using air quotes on a podcast, saying, no, I will not do that. And, you know, having casting change the breakdown. That is one of the ways that we as actors can have power and agency in our career and hopefully make a difference in this industry. And I hope that you have an agent that can support you in that and is happy that you're saying no to something like that or saying no to something you don't want to do. And I'm really glad that Bex and I go into the abundance mindset in this episode because that definitely helps if you can come from a place of this isn't the last audition I'll ever get. I can say no to things. You know, you can say no to things that are uninspiring. You can say no to things that are problematic, racist, if you feel uncomfortable or unsafe, or frankly, if it's against the law. It was brought to my attention that some casting directors are asking people to slate their national origin. 
which is not only against federal law, but also a way to single out immigrant artists who live in the United States. So it's in your power to decline to slate your national origin, especially if you're American. And that way you can stand with immigrant actors. Like we say, we're not going to slate our age, you know, and that's a way for actors of a certain age to not be singled out. It's just better for everyone if everyone is playing at an equal playing field. And the final thing I want to talk about before we jump into this awesome episode with Bex is that many of you know I'm a VP on the Chicago Local Board. It's something that I'm honored to do. I really love doing. I've had the pleasure of being on the local board, the executive board, and being a convention delegate for quite a few years now. And before you know it, you're going to get a ballot in the mail this summer for upcoming elections. And I really hope you'll exercise your right to vote if you're a member in good standing. I'm going to keep you posted about it, but I'm excited about the future future of the Chicago Local. I'm excited to get back to things we were doing pre-COVID, game nights with the Next Gen Committee, voiceover and on-cam jams with the Coffer Center. I co-host a Membership 101 with Alyssa Frayden. Any member in good standing can come at any time that we do that. You don't have to be a new member to come learn about your union. And I've loved talking about the union to those of you I meet on set and sharing things online with you, getting members involved, getting members educated. So I just want you to know that I am available. I'm here for you with your questions questions, your comments, your concerns, your ideas. Whether you're in the Chicago local or not, feel free to reach out. You can email me at Courtney at CourtneyRue.com anytime. And if you are in the Chicago local, you can head to the Chicago local members only election group on Facebook for more information. And I'll put that in the show notes so you can just click on that. And now back to the show. Hi, Bex Marsh. Hi, Courtney Rue. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so glad this finally worked out. I know. It's been like two months in the making, it feels like. Yes, but I'm trusting the timing of this. It feels divine. Yes, for sure. I wanted to talk to you because, you know, part of this podcast, the theme is the journey to finding wholeness. And I just feel like you embody that. You are always on the journey to become more whole and you're always working on yourself and looking for ways to better yourself and your relationship and your career. And you're always growing and you're really great at manifesting stuff. So I wanted to talk to you about your journey on that. Like, when did that begin for you? Oh my goodness. First of all, thank you for saying all of that. That's so, I think when you're like constantly doing this work, you're constantly like reflecting and looking at parts of yourself that you want to change or evolve. So sometimes it helps to hear a different perspective and step out and be like, oh yeah, like I am growing and I am changing. So thank you for that. But you're welcome. it all started honestly with you. Really? Yeah. I mean, you were a huge catalyst in my life to really just kind of dedicate my life to becoming a better person and growing and evolving. I remember it was an actors meetup group in Chicago and you came and did a talk. Oh my God. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I was just feeling so stuck in my career. I was feeling so stuck in my life. And I was just like, if this continues, like, I don't, I don't know if I could hang anymore. Yeah. Been there. Right. And you give a presentation about like being an actor and, and also just like being like growing and evolving in the mindset that needs to kind of come with that. And I don't know, it just really lit me up. I got so excited and I was like, that's it. Whatever she's about, like, I have to go learn from her. (laughs) (laughs) And then we started working together and 
started like taking away some layers and looking at it from a different perspective and a more positive or uplifting perspective. And I don't think I've ever done that in my life before. I'd always had like religion being like the main motivator for positivity, but a lot of that feels so outside of yourself Yeah, that working with you through your coaching and all that kind of thing, it made me realize like how much power I had within myself to create that change. Do you remember anything specific that shifted for you? Any beliefs that shifted for you? Or what do you remember from that time? One of the biggest beliefs was that like things were happening to me. Mm -hmm. And I was just on this ride of life and had no control or say of how things got to go. That's how I'd been living my life. And, you know, it's not that that changed overnight, with you or based on that presentation, but it was, it was the first time I saw a different perspective that, okay, wait a second. Like I actually created space by asking the question, like, what if I saw things differently or what if that just wasn't true? And just even allowing that space and to, to let that question exist for a small amount of time was something that I had never done before. It was just like my internal dialogue was just constantly running the show as opposed to me separating from that internal dialogue and seeing that like, oh, that's like a a record that's just like playing and kind of going. And what is that? You know? Yeah. Can you point to anything in your life that you're like, oh, now this is different because I shifted that belief? I don't think there was like several big moments. It was little tiny things here or there. For example, just having a better outlook. Like I said, having a little more space to things that I would just be so reactive to. For example, with acting, if I didn't get a role that I felt like I knocked out of the park in the audition, my mind would spiral. Like, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not talented enough. I didn't get enough training. I'm too old. I'm not pretty. I'm not skinny. Blah, 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 blah. And like, it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. The little gremlin. Yes. This like, depression would kind of come over me after not getting every single audition. And it just was not sustainable. And so things like that were like, I'd have an audition. I'd allow myself to feel the feelings for like five minutes after the audition, but then let it go. You know, and refuse to play into that story that wants to keep going and refuse to make my life all about that booking. Little things like that. And it was every single time I'd have to confront that little gremlin. And so it was little chipping away that I'd see a little more progress every time, a little less diving into those stories that my mind was creating. Right. And I mean, for me, I still have to do that however many years later, like it's not as strong as it was before, but it still happens. Is that the case for you? Yes. A hundred percent. It gets louder, the bigger the roles. (laughs) (laughs) Or the closer you get, you're on a veil and, and you're waiting to hear back and you know, you have a week before they shoot. And boy, that week could be really tumultuous of like, I want to think about this or, or future trip. Oh, my yeah. mind would be like, okay, if I got this, then, oh my gosh, I, I'm getting an Emmy after I get this commercial. You know, like it was just jumping. <laughs> if this happens, then this will happen, you know, and just going and going and going. Like yeah. 
that's how I know I'm a storyteller too, is just because witnessing my mind, (laughs) she loves, loves to create stories, loves it. Which is really helpful when you're like creating your own work, but not really helpful when you're trying to be present for an audition. So it's a strength and it's something we need to look out for as well. Did anything happen to you that caused you to go into that space before you met me of, I'm not good enough, or was it just the normal, you know, rejection from being an actor? I think it was a bunch of things. The normalness of joining an industry that I didn't really know much about. Mm -hmm. You know, no one in my family worked in this industry. None of my friends did. So it was navigating this really tough industry with the, you know, being a little naive and not really understanding, like, what that fully entailed. So it was in the first few years of that and dealing with the rejection. And then also I started having mystery chronic Mm. illness in my 20s. And I think that was like a really big catalyst too of, okay, what's, what's going on in my body? Feeling out of control with my body, feeling out of control with my health completely just feeling out of control in general with my life. It it made me just like pause and be like, something's not right. Yeah. It's definitely like your body and mind are definitely connected. And when you're not feeling well and it's chronic, it can just have such an effect on your everyday life and like your motivation. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll ignore a problem. Like I ignored this problem with my digestion for I probably like 20 years. And finally, during the pandemic, saw a doctor about it. And like, it's pretty much fixed now. And it's life changing. (laughs) But you don't, if you try to like, just ignore something and you don't realize the effect that it has on everything about you. Yeah, totally. And that's where I was. I was so like single track minded. I had it in my head that I had to be this successful actor by this age or like nothing was worth, you know, giving my time to. And it was just completely about this one thing, not trying to be well-rounded or have a full life. Everything was being sacrificed for this one goal of this one thing or for those little tiny moments of validation. Yeah. Which is so counterintuitive because it's like, in order to be a good actor, you have to have a full life. You have to be a good human. (laughs) Truly. I truly do believe that. And I feel like that's the only reason I've stuck with acting is because it coincides with this becoming whole as a human. For me, nothing has been more challenging in my life than committing to like this acting career because, you know, you have to meet yourself in those rejections. That's growth. Every time you meet yourself with feeling like disappointed or feeling rejected personally, because it feels so personal, in this business. It's about you when it's not really about you. Yeah. But also it is kind of about you and it has nothing, and it has nothing to do with your perception of you. It's their perception of you. It's a lot to unpack. It really is. Yeah. I feel like every time I do the work on myself, and grow myself. Like my acting career shows for that. I'm booking more work. And I, anytime I invest in, in the growth of myself, I find it comes back to me in my acting career. Do you feel the same? 
I feel the same. I also think there's a lightness about me, like an energy that's attractive and not in the like physical sense, but like magnetic, I guess you could say is another word for it. That happens when you're like in the pursuit of becoming a better person that I think that just reads through the camera. I think people are like, I don't know why I want to book this girl. You know, obviously you have to be right for the role, but I think there's a little something else behind my eyes that's like, this is a full lit up human being who's actually like offering something, right. not needing something. Yes, yes, totally. And you can be present in the moment, not thinking about, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I, I'm, I'm never going to book this job or oh, whatever. You're, you're right. You're in the present. You're giving your gifts and your light shows through. And that is a gift, truly. So you grew up in Nebraska, you moved to Chicago, and now you live in L.A., What kind of growth did it take for you to move from city to city and do what you love doing? Honestly, I I feel like I've had to become a better version of myself every time I've made this move. Where I was from, nobody left Nebraska. But I knew from a very young age that, like, if I wanted to do what I wanted to do, it couldn't happen there. It was like an intuition and a feeling that, like, I just wasn't fitting into these boxes or these things. I felt like I was outgrowing them. And I knew the pain of staying in a place that felt comfortable was getting almost to the point where it was like not worth staying there anymore. And that's when I made the jump to like, to be in the the pain and uncomfortableness of the unknown. Right, because both are painful. Yeah, because knowing myself and now looking back at like my journey, it's like, oh yeah, like the the pain of staying the same had to like almost outweigh the pain of jumping and then I jumped, you know? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> They say that you should have all these credits before you move to L.A. I just looked at your IMDb and was like, oh, my God, you have so many credits. Like now that you've moved to L.A., so many more than you did in Chicago, right? Just because there's so much more opportunity and like you are so talented. And I am so glad that you have more opportunity to work and more opportunity to book. Did you feel like when you went out there that you didn't have enough credits or what was that like? Yeah, I definitely had that fear and I didn't fully have the full support of the community in Chicago. Like some people are like, yeah. And then some people are like, why? Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And even like my first agents that I had in Chicago, when I told her I was going to move, she was, she was like, no, you're not ready. You're going to fail. It's, It's not going to work out for you. Um, So many people have to be at this certain level, just really just putting in my head that I I couldn't and shouldn't leave. Luckily, I dropped said agent, got another one while I planned my move. I actually booked the most work that I did with my new agent in Chicago. And so in the span of a year, I booked the most jobs I ever did in Chicago. And when I told them I was going to LA, they were like, good luck. You're going to crush it. You're going to be fine. Like, <laughs> we're going to oh miss you. Oh my God, you. what a difference. Yes. <laughs> Which was such a learning lesson for me of like just how important it was to have people on your team who like align with you and align with how they can. And who believe in yes. you. Yes. But not only that, but but how they communicate with you on a daily basis, like yes. needs to be in alignment with how you want to be communicated with. Because seeing how like much of an obstacle my first agent was to even the mindset of me coming into audition room of not feeling good enough because my own agent is like basically telling me I'm not good enough, which why sign me if you don't think I'm good enough? It was a spiral. But having that, 
I took that with me to LA where it's like, I know I'm going to start from zero. I know I'm going to feel like I'm going to want to take the first person or take this kind of thing. That is the bar. And whoever I'm working with has to be at least that bar of like, I'm excited about you. I believe in you. And like, you're going to crush it, you know? How long did it take you to find someone like that? It took me two years. Two years of not having representation, not having an agent in LA and almost giving up too, because I, you know, I was like, oh man, maybe I, I just don't have the chops. This is the Olympics of, of actors are all out here. You know, this is where push comes to shove. I see what I got. And I just had a hard time getting any agent to just see my materials. And I think that's across the board for people when you move to LA has nothing to do with your ability whether they check the email or not of you has, there's so many other (laughs) things. And again, like those stories wanted to come in, you know, but eventually I got a friend of a friend to put in a word for me. So she read my email. I was, I was actually like not stalking, but I was definitely like following my manager for a a year and really trying to just like, I was like, I know she could use me. I know, you know, I really Mm. did my homework and I just kind of honed in on a few people And I knew as soon as she talked to me, I just knew we would kind of click. And she did. Finally, she saw my stuff. And then finally, she was like, okay, awesome. Brought me in for a meeting. And we just instantly clicked. And it felt so good. I felt so seen. And uh, it made those two years, like, completely worth it. What did you do in those two years to keep honing your skills? And were you creating content with Eddie, your husband? Well, we had created a bunch of content before when we left Chicago because I wanted to use that for like marketing or to create some buzz or to create at least some footage to show here's me doing this now. Yeah, it's so good. I just, before you get into the story, please tell people what it is and where they can find it because it's so funny, everything (laughs) you guys did. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Eddie and I, we did a Duval sketch comedy, D-U-V-A-L, sketch comedy on YouTube. We did a bunch of sketches of just different genres and characters that we thought would just be hilarious and fun to do. Yeah, we created like little short vignettes of, you know, one was in the 80s of a dance group. One was, you know, (laughs) a Halloween couple creating a haunted house in their own apartment to a water boy who haunts this uh, woman to get her to drink more water. It's just, it's really just silly and fun, but showcases our writing and our comedy and was something that I had also come into LA being like, well, maybe it won't take off as an actor, but I got to, you know, show some of my writing too. So I knew it could go either way. Yeah. So you had created work before you left for LA. In the two-year span, what were you doing while you were searching for representation? So I have some compassion for myself. It wasn't like I wasn't doing anything those two years. I had a lot of life happening. I had gotten engaged with my now husband, so I was planning a wedding in Chicago while being in LA. I forgot you moved before your wedding. Yeah, and we came back. Oh my God. Yeah, It it was a lot. It was a lot. So I was planning the wedding, also adapting to LA, which is like a foreign country. The culture shock is real. 
the car yeah. culture is insane. And it, it, all of it is just like, where am I? I'm on a different planet when you move there. So adjusting to that, adjusting to the high cost of living, I was serving. Mm-hmm. My husband, Eddie, was in a showcase at the time that was unpaid. So I was the only one bringing in money at the time. And he would drive Uber on his off time. So, you know, we were we were hustling. We were just trying to survive that first year. And we yeah. were paying the most amount of rent we had ever paid in our entire lives. So we were we were really just like trying to prove to ourselves that we could just even survive for the first year. Yeah. But then it, it was more or less things like we had a few lucky breaks where because Eddie did the showcase, he got to sign with a commercial agent and got some reps from that uh, thing. And through that connection, he was able to introduce me to his commercial agent and I auditioned for them and they they brought me on. And so I got representation for commercial Great. after the first year. So that felt really good. Like I was like, okay, I'm I'm making some progress and strides. But my manager came maybe like six months after that. I got a friend to kind of make a phone call for me, you know, and just yeah. really, yeah, really, it, it was huge and, and really generous and kind of him to put in my name. So then she called me in and, and we talked from there and and then she got me my theatrical agent after that. Okay, great. So then you got a theatrical agent and people in Chicago, when you get an agent in Chicago, you're pretty much represented across the board. It's not like you have necessarily different agents for theatrical and commercial and voiceover and things like that. So what was that like to have to search for multiple representation when you got out to L.A.? I mean, it was overwhelming because when you pull up that SAG franchise list of (laughs) agents and you're like, oh my gosh, there's like over 300 on here. Like, how do I know which ones are good? How do I know? Like, yeah, because some like they can be SAG franchise, but they won't work for you. You may never get sent out. I had friends who I worked with in the restaurant that I was serving at who they're like, I got an agent and then never went out for six months, never went. So what good is having that agent just to say you had an agent? So I knew like I had to do a little bit more research, get into classes where I could talk to people about their experience with their agents and see if they were booking and see if they were getting any opportunities. And then that's when I'm like, okay, tell me about your agent. I do a little more research. So it took time to be meticulous and like, and specific and purposeful with my energy of who I was reaching out yeah. to um, and why. And if if there was even a spot for me right. on their roster too, because that's a whole thing. And that's not just helpful for you, like for you to do that homework before and know who you're going to fit with and know that they need you. And that's good for you. And it's good for everybody to do that. Here, you know, your agent could be submitting you and it's casting that's not calling you in. Is it the same there? And how do you get to know the casting directors there? So there's as much as there are agents, there's probably as much as there are casting directors. Like there's so many casting directors, which is a blessing and a curse. Because if I uh, ticked off Claire Simon on my <laughs> audition, Never. I might have to, I, uh, <laughs> you know, or just made a mistake yeah. or didn't have the best showing. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like not necessarily that. But 
I would be kind of like SOL for a lot of jobs for for a while. And luckily in LA, like you can have a bad day. Yeah, you may not get called into that casting office, but you'll get another shot with someone else. You'll get a shot with someone. If you're right for the role, you got the right look and your, your managers or agents are actually pitching you, then you'll get a shot. But I did notice like the first year of having full representation, it took about a year of taking any co-star that I could, knocking on doors mm-hmm. and just showing them that like, I'm accountable. I can yeah. do this, you know. I show up to work on time. I'm professional. Mm-hmm. I know my lines and and have that. And, and that's the thing too, like that I really appreciate about LA. It's, there are a lot of people who aren't, necessarily the best actors. They're just really beautiful. Really beautiful. God, they're beautiful. God, there's there's so many beautiful people here. (laughs) And and you're just like, I don't you could say anything to me and I'll just stare at you and it doesn't matter. Um, So there are people like that and there are roles in and spaces for them too. But I will say like, if you are putting in the work to get better as an actor, if you are a great actor with an artistry and something to say and a point of view, like that is so appreciated. Oh, that's good. It's just, it's just hard to cut through the noise because there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. that casting directors out here have given a chance to and it's just been like, oh, oh, bummer. So they're a little like, uh, you know, People are willing to take chances on you, but if you go in there, do do your best, do your work, then they're more than willing to give you more chance after chance after chance. And then you just keep developing that trust and that relationship yeah. and, and it grows. And and it grows and and sometimes I have been called in an office for like six months and it just wasn't a role for me. Right. But it didn't mean they weren't thinking of me and then they'll call me in again and that's like, oh, that's that's great. Right. You know? And that goes back to the beginning of our conversation of like not taking that personally and not making it, oh, I'm a bad actor. I'm never going to work again. I'm not letting your gremlin take over and just being like, there wasn't a role for me for six months in that office. No big deal. Moving on. Next. Yes. Yeah. 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 And and I think what would get to me in Chicago that doesn't get to me as much as in L.A. is Chicago to be like, oh, no, there's only three casting right. directors. Like, what can I do? You know, I know there's more now, but but there it's just like, well, I'll just keep hitting the pavement. I'll reach out to others, follow shows that I like. There's just yeah. there's an abundance uh, of people constantly casting and people are constantly changing roles within casting. That's the thing too, is like, I went in and read for this person who was an associate, but now she started her own casting office and, and remembers me. And then, you know, so it, there, people are constantly dispersing and growing and doing their own thing. So like just coming in, showing up, you never know who's watching. You never know who's listening. Like, that's it. And that's why you have to be a good person too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> because if you're shitty to the assistant and they then have their own casting company, I mean, you shouldn't be shitty to anybody, no. but <laughs> No. And and really just like they're trying to do a job too, just like you. We're all in yeah. this together. Let's just be kind normal humans like to each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Speaking of abundance, Can you talk about how you manifested money during the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the industry shut down. I had just filmed a commercial that I was really excited about. It was about having your neighbors come over. And then I was like, oh no, that's never going to (laughs) air. 
<laughs> whoops, not going to be seeing any of those residuals. And, and just kind of like was like, oh, bummer, like all these portals of income were shutting down. And there's a lot of like scarcity mindset, right? Like look at the toilet paper situation. Right. <laughs> Porting toilet paper. Yeah. There was just like fear, <laughs> lack, scarcity everywhere. And mm-hmm. I think it was just really resting on the deep foundational work that I had already laid out about how to deal with rejection, right? How even that on a tiny scale, like tells you how to deal with the pandemic, you know? <laughs> like, mm, yeah. It's just like, it was a real test of, okay, I know this is like a health thing. I know this is that, but I'm not going to let my emotional state be dictated by something outside of myself right. unless I need it to moment by moment. Meaning if I need to run and hide because of something immediately in my present moment now affecting my health and safety, then, you know, like that is something that's fine. But I was at home, I was masking up and it's like, it's completely out of my control at that point if I got the virus or didn't. So just meeting that and meeting parts of myself and using that downtime and that lockdown time to just continue to grow and really just like reflect and take space for things that maybe I had put on the back burner. And a lot of it had to do with like, pain and and kind of like trauma of like my childhood that I just maybe didn't have the time or space to fully sit with and did a bunch of like what is called like shadow work journaling meditating every day just showing up if I had a feeling or emotion that was difficult to work with I would go and like take that through a meditation write journal about it sit with it love it honor it allow it to exist in my space without trying to change it, move it or direct it, like just listen to it, which was the gift and, and curse of the pandemic, right? Like I had this space now to like do this. Yeah. We were all like, wait, what is this sadness I'm feeling? (laughs) Yeah. Like my worth, I really, really got down into and swallowed like a big, big humble pie spoonful of, how much my worth was put on my career and my booking rate and put on my jobs, my identity, my identity. Yeah. Yeah, Everything was on that. And so when that got taken away, it was like fear of like, how am I going to make money? Um, Will I have to go back to serving? What does that mean about me? You know, like all these things. Can you even go back to serving during the pandemic? (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) And like, for some weird reason, I had this story in my head too, that like, I wouldn't be a successful actor if I didn't book within a year. You know, like you hear some of those stories of those actors who like, I didn't book anything for a whole year or that kind of thing. And that kind of like, for some reason, what this was this like haunting story that like, what if I don't book anything for a year? I don't know why I had that in my head. But yeah, like, like you have this number that's like, if I don't book something in a year, I'm never going to book anything ever again. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I was like, that's so random. Like, why a year? Yeah. You know, like, and that just kept coming up and coming up and coming up. And I I just was like, what is this? What is this obsession with this? And and moving through it and, and healing that and honoring that feeling, but also understanding that like that was a story that doesn't mean anything. And as soon as I yeah. started like really delving into this work, meditation really helps because it just helped me get into the present. Even if it was 20 minutes a day, if that was the only time I was present, it was better than not having that. And so just showing up, doing meditation, even when I sucked at it, I sucked at it so hard. Like, so hard. I always suck at meditation. (laughs) Oh gosh. Like, 
But you got to do it. Yeah. It works even if you suck at it. It does work even if you suck at it. And I will tell you, even now, I do have somewhat of a consistent meditation practice, but it started to really get stride during the pandemic because I was just mm. like having anxiety and all these things like come up constantly that I was like my only full deep breaths I ever took <laughs> were in meditation. <laughs> and so yeah, uh, it was just like a brief moment of solace that I had to just do for myself. And I'm so grateful now to this day because it's a lot easier for me to get into meditation, but that wouldn't have been possible had I not kind of just been like, I'm going to do it, even if it sucks, even if it's only five minutes and it just sucks. Like, I'm so thankful to my past self for having done that because it's a lot easier now. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) But it was really, it was really hard to show up. It was really hard to show up. Because you got COVID, right? Like, yes, you, um, you got sick. Were you meditating when you were sick? Yes. Yes. Again, like another moment of like, I would start to feel a symptom in my body and my mind would race to that panicky mm-hmm. place of like, oh my God, and now I have cancer. You know, like it would yeah. be like that far, <laughs> like along of like doom and gloom, like thinking that I was like, I just can't, there's enough of that already. I just can't feed into this. And so just even just sitting there and taking deep breaths and just calming my nervous system in a way helped so much. And once I just brought my focus like on me and what I could control, so many miraculous things started happening. So I had a commercial that I did like six months ago, heard nothing about, you know, did it, wasn't sure if it would air. Now was definitely not sure it would air. And then got eight checks in the mail, just like randomly. Oh, wow of just like, oh yeah, it's running national cable, internet, all the things, like the best case scenario. And I got all these, the first round of checks and it was just, it couldn't have come at a more perfect time after I had been like working through all this stuff, doing all this inner work, mining all this like shadowy parts, healing, meditating, doing all this. And like, I literally did nothing but that. And I got all this money that came in. And I I also met some like amazing women through like these Zoom groups that I had been working with who were awesome and did some like part-time work for one of the women who was coaches because I had worked with you before and did some like administrative work for her. And it felt awesome to like give my time and energy to another amazing woman and her business that was actually thriving right now because so many people were needing her help and work. And getting right. compensated for that, it, it felt really meaningful and and it just felt effortless. And yeah, so that's how I manifested uh, a lot of money <laughs> during the time when everyone was getting laid off and had no jobs yeah. and I didn't think it was possible and all this stuff started coming in. Yeah. It's so, it's easy to have an abundant mindset when things are going well. It's very challenging to have an abundant mindset when globally there's lack and fear and scarcity. And I just want to congratulate you for keeping up with that mindset and for working on yourself and for it paying off. I was glad to hear that. It's, I never want anyone to suffer, you know, financially or otherwise. And I just love that you, you do the work that allows you to, to benefit um, and have, have abundance in your life when it seems like you shouldn't or couldn't. Mm, thank you. Yeah. That is something that I still don't fully even understand, like how that all works, right? I just 
does in a weird way. It when you work on yourself, like amazing things like happen and unfold. And it's it seems like it can't be that simple, but it kind of is. I know. I feel the same <laughs> way. Where I'm like, look, I feel weird telling people that because how how could that be true? But it's been so true for me and for so many people that I know. Like investing in myself, whether it's the time and energy of sitting down and meditating or financially by hiring a coach or um, taking a course or something like that. Like I just, I, it comes back to you tenfold every time. Yeah. And for me too, what I've been noticing when I start anything or do anything, even when it's work within myself, what is the initial intention? So if it's out of desperation because I need to get a job and I'm now going to work on myself. So, because Courtney and Beck said, like, you're going to get money. And like, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're initially moving and initiating from that space, it's not going to work. Like you have to be in a point where you're genuinely humbling yourself and being like, even if none of that happens, it's still worth it for me to invest in this. You have to be that intentional and that open to letting the outcome go and just allowing whatever happens to happen. Yes. Yes. Not holding on to some idea of what you think will happen. Yes. Like you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to show up. Mm -mm. Abundance isn't just about money. You can have an abundance of love, an abundance of friendships, an abundance of leggings. I don't like. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And to not be so like focused on it has to happen this way. It has to happen at this time, right? In in a year, I have to book a job. Like you don't know when or how or where or why. Yeah. And it's also looking at it like the cherry on top is helpful because just being a happier, more fulfilled, loving person is the thing right? Yes. And booking the job and getting the money is great on top of that. But if you book the job and get the money and you're a miserable human being, like that's not worth it. No, no. It's, it's really just draining of your energy. And then you're just like, why, why even, why even go down that space? But everything that you said is a hundred percent true. And I guess the blessing of starting out in the industry in Chicago the wrong way, I think Mm. like I was in it for the wrong reasons. I was in it to be validated, to be seen, to feel like I was worthy of something. Which probably goes back to your childhood trauma that you experienced. Yeah. So then when you heal that childhood trauma of needing the approval and needing the validation from outside sources, like when you don't need that anymore and you let that go, then you're free to give your gifts. Yeah. And with no no attachment or through line or contract attached to it. It's freely mm. given, nothing expected in return because it was yeah. a gift where I was approaching every job of like, I'm doing this audition for you. I put in five hours and now <laughs> I want the job. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Money, please. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that's not to say that's still not true. Like, yeah, I, I would love that money. I would love that paycheck. Right. I would love that job. I would love to make a living doing what I love. But I don't feel like a constricted, forceful, manipulative energy around it anymore. It's it's more free-flowing. And something that I've been adding to my auditions now that have been feeling really, really good, anytime I get a script or something for like a self-tape or an audition before, I'll kind of do like a little incantation or prayer and just tell the universe, like, if not this, something better. Mm. 
And I love that. And it's really great because when I don't get it, which is most of the time, it's yeah, well, something's better coming. Like, you know, <laughs> obviously. <Yeah. laughs> and it's just a way to have fun with it. It's like, all right, well, that's not the right time. Something better is coming. Cool. I love that. When I write down my goals and when I teach people to write down goals, I say to to write down like this or something better. It just like opens it up and you're not so restricted to it needs to be this specific thing. It's like, yeah, this would be nice. But also like if something better is for me, then please show me the way. Yeah. Totally. And yeah, and the worst case scenario, let's say you do manipulate yourself to get that job that you really, really wanted. But what if it's just like a terrible atmosphere on set and it's just not a fun experience or something like happens? Like at some point, there's a point in our our careers we just have to trust in something bigger than us is actually Mm -hmm. like looking out in some way, whether it's karma, God, the universe, goodwill, whatever you want to call it if you just at least just surrender it to whatever, yeah. even if it's just love. That's funny. I, yes. I love thinking about it in terms of just love because there's fear and there's love and everything is one or the other. And am I choosing fear? Or am I choosing love? Someone asked me for recommendations for like a 20 minute inspiring video for their students. And I was like thinking about my favorite TED Talks and rewatched Elizabeth Gilbert's TED Talk where it was after she wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And like, she was like, everything I do now is going to be compared to Eat, Pray, Love. And she's like, I want to go back to the time when like there was a genius that worked through us. It wasn't us that was the genius. And so like you were inspired by the gods or whatever. And <laughs> like there's there's something else that you get this uh, this idea or this flow from and it's not you so that when you're not doing well, you have that to blame. But then <laughs> when you are doing well, you also can't take full credit for it. <laughs> I love that. Like you just sit your ego on the side and just be like, either yeah. way, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Bex, what do you love about um, acting or comedy or creating work? I, I love that it makes me a better person. I think anytime I try to approach something with a specific idea, like a script or a character or work, if I'm judging them, their choices, their life, anything. I'm not able to fully be that character. I'm not able to fully like live in that experience. And like, what a cool job where we get to try on different life experiences, different scenarios or lives and like, just be that person as honestly as possible. I think in that process, it requires you as the actor, as the artist to be as open-minded and as loving and as non-judgmental as possible. Because if you are that way in your daily life, it is much easier for you to approach yeah. a script and become a character, you know, <laughs> right. in any way, yeah. shape, or form. With empathy. With empathy, yeah, and compassion and and stepping outside of yourself and knowing that there's someone with a different reality, a different experience, and that we're all sharing this spaceship called earth together, you know, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) having our own experiences. So I think I a hundred percent know acting has been an active religion for me to be a better, more loving, compassionate, empathetic human being. I love that. I love that a lot. And it shows in who you are as a friend and a person and as, as an actor and, I love watching you on screen and watching the work that you create and just being your friend. 
Thank you. I feel so honored to know you and love you. And you're such a gift. And thank you for existing during the same time I did. (laughs) In the same city at one point. Yes. (laughs) Is there anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up? We had talked about going through a dark night of the soul. Did you still want to like touch on any of that? Or do you feel like you're in a dark night of the soul as well? Or... Yeah, I I really did. I felt like I don't know that I feel that anymore. Maybe I am and I'm just kind of not as deep and dark into it as I was uh, like a month ago. But uh, after talking all those cult documentaries, I really had a hard time wrapping my mind around the stuff that I was taught by a certain person like, and got my coaching certification from and, like, how they were using manipulations that cult leaders used as well and was, like, Mm. was I learning from a cult leader? I don't know if you listened to the episode. It came out yesterday. But it was, like, I just felt super depressed and, like, questioning everything. And is that how you felt when you went through the dark night of the soul? Yes. Yeah. It's and it's dark. Like it, the dark isn't enough to express how dark it is. <laughs> like <laughs> there's that word is not dark enough to express how dark it is to go through a dark night of the soul, which yeah, it's much lighter now than it was for a month ago for me as well. But yeah, it feels like a death. Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. feels like you're going through a death of something. There's like a, a ton of grief yes. around what I thought I believed, what I thought I knew to be true, what is the truth. It was a lot of sitting in the like, I don't have a clear definitive answer either way. What spurred yours? My health. Yeah. Of finally getting a diagnosis on having mold toxicity and a a gene that my body doesn't take out biotoxins. It needs uh, medication to do that. And then I got the medication and went into a slow anaphylactic shock, allergic reaction from it. So like I literally almost died from it and stopped. Like my face turned purple, my eyes turned purple. Wow. And after 10 years of chronic illness and then finally having an answer and then thinking I had the solution and it actually almost killing me. Wow. (laughs) Was really like, wow, that just feels really effing cruel, universe. Like really cruel. Yeah, like really, really just one last kick in the nuts when I was down, you know, like truly just dealing with a lot of anger, feeling betrayed, feeling alone, feeling dark. I think it's also like on tandem of the heels of like what the year of 2020 has been Mm -hmm. for us as a community and a country and just really seeing a lot of darkness in the underbellies of everything going on and seeing that within myself, it, it was a lot. And it was hard not to be consumed by that. So like I, I felt I felt really depressed. I didn't want to eat. I couldn't remember what joy felt like. I didn't even know. Like I knew I, I loved acting. At least I thought I did. Mm-hmm. But even that was like, I don't care. Yeah. That's, that's how I felt about like I was booking Chicago Med and I was like, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. And it was really just like I was in a state of like the dark night of the soul. <laughs> it was like everything felt worthless and like stupid. Yeah. It, yes. That's exactly what it was like, why did I spend all this energy doing this? Yeah. Like, does this mean anything? What it was, 
it was asking really big questions. And I think that's the, well, coming out of it now, it's like, well, that was a really important time because I asked some really big, deep questions that I also didn't, I just wasn't in a space to ask those questions when I was doing that inner work because I had so much to look forward to or grab onto that was kind of like taking my attention. But when you have all of that kind of like taken away, you're you're sit you're just sitting with those really big life questions. And it's actually really important because those need to lay the foundation for anything you do from here on out, like whatever your answers are. And I and when I sat with those questions, for example, what is my purpose here? That's as simple as that. What is my purpose here? Mm-hmm. I know people tell me it's to share love, be love, to some people it's do whatever you want. But I realized like it had always been someone else's definition right. that I've attached to. I've never actually just asked myself that and actually given an honest answer of what I actually think my purpose is here for. And what did you come up with? I still don't know. Yeah, I still don't know. I'm... I'm I'm now coming to peace that I'm in this phase of like, I'm just playing and being curious and following my curiosity and seeing what happens. But I don't know. And I'm not going to attach to other people's definitions anymore. Yeah. I'm just going to just figure it out myself. So that feels good right now. But I also don't know. Yeah. I feel like I was questioning that too. And like, with coaching and stuff, when I was working with my coach about something that happened to me and working through like the trauma of it, the whole time I was like, ooh, how can I use this modality that he's using to help me to help other people? And at some point he was like, you can also just like work on yourself and not think about how you can help other people. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh yeah, okay, let's just, let's just focus on You know, because I think like with my purpose, it's so tied into helping other people. And at the same time, I feel like sometimes I suffer from that. You know, I don't give myself Mm. the time and energy that I need to work on my career or to to heal my trauma. And it was just kind of like a shift for me when that happened of like, because I know I'm always telling you, oh, Bex, you should be a coach. Like, you would be so great at it. And you're like, I don't know if I want to be. Like, that's okay. Yeah. You know, like, just, yeah. yeah, it was, it was a weird thing to question that and to be in that headspace of like, oh, maybe I do just want to take time for myself right now. What mm. does that look like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why does that feel like taboo? Yeah. You know? <laughs> selfish. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think part of it has to do with like how you're brought up, but also kind of like the stories were told around Mm -hmm. gender identity and all these kinds of things of like, oh, like we're supposed to be the helpers and like help other people. And like maybe models of people that were before us were selfless and and gave so much of themselves. And that's like put on a, a pedestal as opposed to like this person really loved who they were and Right. That was it. Mother Teresa is toted because she gave so much to others. And yes, that that's true. That's great. That's worthy of acknowledging. But there's no awards or anything given to a person who's like, I love myself fully, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. And that's everything that we're not taught in school or taught yeah. to be okay. And it's actually such a radical statement when somebody actually does that. So thank you for doing that, Cordy. That's awesome. (laughs) I'm trying. I'm still not totally doing it. I stopped looking at 
it from a place of like, how can I use this to help other people? And just really was like focusing on healing myself. And it was like a huge change for me. So, and I think even just taking a month off of the podcast when I was feeling that dark night of the soul, that was a big thing for me to not put anything out when I said I would and to take a break from doing some interviews or editing or whatever. Like, that was a big thing for me as well. So there's nothing wrong with like not knowing exactly what your purpose is or with it shifting and changing over time, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And I I think for so long, I held that judgment on myself because I didn't know what I wanted to do even when I entered college. But we're like, how old are we when we go into college? We're supposed to know who we are and what we want to do with our lives. What's with that? What is with that? And kudos to you if you do know, and it's just like really strong, but like that was never the case for me where I've just been such a curious cat. I'm everywhere. Like I want to learn what that is and I want to go do what that thing is. And, and I think too, I've carried shame around just being as curious as I am and not having like, well, I am this and I am that and putting myself in boxes. Yes, but we shouldn't have to put ourselves in boxes or say, like, because even me, I knew I wanted to be an actor, but there are so many other things that I love doing. And, like, I did feel that shame of, like, well, oh, gosh, do I want to be an actor anymore? And, oh, that's my identity, so who am I? And what would I be without it? And, like, we shouldn't have to feel that way. We should be able to change our mind in what we want to do or who we want to be and not feel like we have to have everything figured out all the time or like we have to have one thing that we love doing and we stick with that for the rest of our lives. Like, that's so stupid. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's part of what, too, like meditation has really helped me with is getting comfortable being in that gray space of, I don't know, I don't have to have an answer. I don't have to force myself to move towards a space of black or white thinking, you know, or being or existing. I can just sit in the unknown. And yes, it's uncomfortable. And yes, it feels very humbling and vulnerable. But sometimes that's the best space to be in because that's when the real shit happens. (laughs) That's where like... You're so open and so present that that's when the universe is like, hold my beer, watch what I can do, you know? (laughs) I love that. Hold my beer. (laughs) What kind of meditation do you do? It depends. Now I'm to the point where I do whatever I feel like I want to do for that day that I think is helpful. Luckily, I've had the opportunity to learn from people in spaces that I have a tool belt of meditation. Yeah that I can use. Starting out, I used to do a lot of guided. That was really helpful for me to get out of my head. Mm -hmm. And if I'm like really struggling with certain things, I'll still go back to guided meditations because I just love them. I just love following, you know. I like doing shamanic journeying, guided meditations, things like that. I also love just putting on classical music and just taking um, like five count breath in, holding Mm -hmm. for five, releasing for five, holding for five. I love that box breath. Mm-hmm. And I'll just do that. I now know like when I've gotten to the headspace that I need to be of just like observing thoughts. Where before starting out, I was like, am I meditating? Like, what am right, I doing? You know, yeah. am I here yet? Like, what is, am I supposed to get to a space? Now I know what that feels like in my body just through practice and trial and error. If I'm having a really hard time, sometimes like I'll clench up my entire body and then I'll just like release and exhale and sigh out. And I'll do that three times. And then I'll just sit and 
and just breathe and just watch the thoughts and listen and just be present. That helps me get out of my head into my body. Sometimes I do visualizations of like light coming down on me, covering me in a bubble like honey and feeling like energy coming out of the bottom of the soles of my feet into the earth. Sometimes I do stuff like that. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah, like just whatever feels yummy and good and indulgent. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I, you've said so many things today where in my head, I'm like, oh, we should talk about following your intuition because like it just seems like you're just really good now at listening to your intuition and being okay and following that. And that's something that I'm definitely working on and have been for the last year or two of like trusting my gut following my intuition, listening to what my body needs and doing it. Mm. Has that always been easy for you? No, no. Actually, now that you say that, I was like, oh, it happened after the dark night of the soul that I started getting, because I always would get mixed signals with my intuition when I was trying it. And I would always second guess and all those kinds of things. But after my like I'm maybe still in my dark night of the soul. I don't know, but it wasn't as dark. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) But being in that space where everything felt taken away finally allowed me to like hear that inner voice in a way and just be like, and recognize it and make that connection that like, oh, oh, that's what that is. And and that's where it comes from. It feels like it comes yeah. like from behind me almost. And it's different from everybody. It feels like it just comes in like through the back of my chest into my heart. And it's just like this quick knowing. And if I don't recognize it fast enough, it goes away. And then the mind comes in and tries to over-explain it or over-analyze it or make it into something else. The trick is to catch it before the mind does. And then that's your truth. And now you know... Now you can know the difference between that intuition and then the mind, the monkey mind or whatever that is. That's like. Yeah. What's just the recording playing over and over again. And that only happened when I created more space through meditation, observing the thoughts so I could recognize the patterns. And because like you said, they never go away. They're always there. It's just like they're a little more muted and they're just a part of me now. Or you can recognize it and yeah. tell it to please sit down. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, I hear you. Everything's yeah. fine. Like, it's cool. You know. It's cool. I got this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the intuition part has been really fun because a lot of times it doesn't make any conscious sense. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing that you're like, what? And like you get a little shy about and you're just like, huh? Like, I'm just going to go do that? Like, you know, like that thing or that makes no logical sense sometimes. Like that's, for me, that's my intuition of like, it doesn't all the time make logical sense. It's just a feeling. It's this like feeling and the knowing. And But even that is a radical act of self-love of just honoring it and and fast acting on it even. For me, intuition too is not, it's not from fear. My intuition is never from fear. If it's from fear, it's usually from my mind. If it's from love, it's usually my intuition. Beautiful. I love you so much. I love you too. (laughs) Thank you for being on The Whole Artist. And I know people are going to love this and get so much from it. And you're, you're awesome. I love you. I love you too. This was so fun. And thanks for having me. And you're just amazing. It's a love fest. Yes. Get over it. We love each other. (laughs) 
thanks to my friend Vex Marsh for coming on the show. Thank you, Eric Backus, for mixing and editing this episode. To my assistant, Mandy Wetzel, for all your hard work. And thank you to you for listening, for subscribing, for telling your friends. I hope you learned something. I hope you were inspired. And I hope you feel better than you did before you were listening. Talk to you next time. Be your best you. Don't forget to vote.